Hey, well, good morning. Good morning. Are you well this morning? Good. Hey, it is so great to be here and see you all. I feel like I haven't been here in ages. And that's because two weeks ago, I was out at our Selwyn campus, had the chance to go and spend some time with them. And then last week, I was out with our youth out at Easter camp, which was such an amazing time. We as, we as Life Youth, we took our crew out to Easter camp with about 3,000 other people. And we had such an incredible time out there in camp. And I was reflecting on it um, this past week after coming back and for us as a youth leadership team, our, our sort of theme, our, our word that we felt that God wanted to, to work with this year was the idea of cultivate. The sense that if you want to grow anything, if anything wants to grow until its full potential for it to grow to be healthy, you have to be intentional about what you plant it in. You've got to cultivate the soil. You've got to water it carefully. You've got to make sure all the ingredients are there. You've got to care for it. You've got to be intentional and we've really seen that happen over this past term, and we saw that happen even more so at Easter camp. And there was just a great sense of togetherness and unity as a group. And, um, and among the other groups in Christchurch as well, Easter camp is always a great time where all of the youth from all over the South Island really come together just for the sole purpose of praising Jesus. And it's an amazing thing. And we really saw some of our young people take some great forward steps in their faith with God. And so I really just want to ask you, please continue to be praying for them. Um, you know, our, our desire is, is that camp can't just be a camp thing, but what happens at camp has to continue into their real world. Um, you know, we don't just want them to say, yeah, I'm going to make this decision for Jesus or I'm going to follow him. And then two weeks later, it's not happening anymore. Our desire is that God would get a hold of their life and that when they go back into their school and their family, wherever they are at, that God would continue to move and work with them. So I just want to say again, a big thank you to you. On behalf of myself and Anna and the youth leaders, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your giving. You, you enable us to be able to run a youth ministry that can help young people encounter God, that can help the next generation meet Jesus and set, be set on fire for him. That is all because of the work that you continue to do, your generosity, your faithfulness. So thank you, Life Church, for continuing to do that for us. We had an amazing time. But over the last few months, we've been talking about the idea of trusting in God. Trusting God. And Carl started the year off with Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which paths to take. And I don't know about you, but I find this verse very encouraging. Because it means regardless of what I face... God is with me. If he asks me to trust him, then by nature, he is going to be with me. He will care for me and he will guide me and he will lead me. But I also find it really challenging because while I can say, yes, God, I want to trust you. I want to place my trust in you. What happens in five minutes time when I sin again? What happens next week when I make another mistake? What happens when I do something wrong again? Yes, Lord, I want to trust you, but I'm not so sure I can even trust myself. You've seen my track record. You know how fickle I can be sometimes. I have a hard time trusting myself to continue to trust in you. And so when we started talking about this idea of trusting in God and talking about that verse in Proverbs, my heart was drawn to King David. King David in the Bible, he's for me one of the most encouraging people to look at. Because I really feel that King David is a great example to us of what following God looks like as a flawed human being. 
as a broken human being, as a human who makes mistakes, who does things they know they shouldn't. But David was given the title as a man after God's own heart. David took over from King Saul. And if you know the story, King Saul didn't do so well with his rule. He started off great, but towards the end of his life, he didn't do so well. And so God decided, I need to replace him with a man after my own heart. And so he tells the prophet Samuel to go to the family of Jesse. And in the family of Jesse, one of his sons will become the next king of Israel. And so we read it here in 1 Samuel 13. This is Samuel talking to Saul. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And so Samuel says this to Saul and he goes to Jesse's family and he sees David and he anoints him to be, to be the future king over God's people. And David was anointed to be king over Israel when he was somewhere between sort of eight and 15 years old. He was sort of a pre-adolescent. He was a young man. From that young age, God chooses him to be the future king and ruler over his people. Right from that young age, God sees David as a man after his own heart. He doesn't look at him and say, you you will become a man after my own heart. No, he sees the future that God has put within him. He sees the, the life that he will go to lead. And so he declares the future over David's life. You are a man after my own heart. And we could do a whole sermon on there about speaking the future over our young people, declaring the futures that we see in them. But that's what Samuel does to David. He says, you will be a man. You are a man after God's own heart knowing full well the mistakes that David would go on to make later in his life. God knew that David would commit adultery. He would sleep with someone else's wife, and then he would have her husband killed in battle because he got her pregnant. This was still a man that God saw after his own heart. It doesn't mean that God was pleased with David for doing those things. And we see that David was actually severely punished for his actions But God could see the nature of his heart. That he was a man whose primary desire in life was to live after God, was to serve God, and actually to lead people into a better relationship with him. David's desire was to lead the nation of Israel into a right relationship with God, to lead them to a place of trusting in God. And so I find David very encouraging because while I haven't slept with another man's wife and then had him killed, I do make mistakes all the time. I still sin. I still constantly fall short of the standards that I know I should live at. I make mistakes. I make bad judgments. I hurt people. Yet God knew all of this before I was born, and he still chose me. He still loves me. He still placed me where I am. Just like God knew David's future failings, and he still called him a man after his own heart, God knows all of the things that we will inevitably get wrong in our lives. We are bound to make mistakes, yet God has still chosen you. He still favors you. He still loves you. We're not all kings like David was. We're not all rulers of people, but we are all leaders. We are all given leadership in some capacity. By the very nature, if you follow Jesus this morning, it means you have the Holy Spirit with you. That means wherever you go, any room you walk into, you bring the Holy Spirit with you. And when the Holy Spirit is in the room, it is bound to influence things. And we say that that is the definition of leadership, is influence. So whenever you go somewhere and you bring the presence of God with you, you are having influence over that situation. You are a leader. Yet every time I sin, and every time I make another mistake, 
I find myself begin to begin to disqualify myself from that role. Who am I to lead people? Who am I to even be a follower of Jesus? Lord, who am I that you would even notice me? Who am I that you would use me? Who am I to be a disciple? Who am I to help other people encounter you, Lord? Why would you use me? Look at the mistakes that I make. Yet God knew all of this in advance, and he still placed me where I am. He knew the things that you would do, the mistakes that you would make, yet he placed you right where you are. He still gave you the leadership you have, the influence you have. And so I think David is a great person to look at because if he can live the life that he made, if he can make the mistakes that he did throughout his life and God can call him a man after his own heart and God can still love him and bless him, then perhaps that could be our story as well. And David's life is one of constantly trusting in God. And I think that that's part of being a man after God's own heart, as someone who desire is to live a life that constantly trusts in God. And David throughout his life wrote many of the Psalms that are found in our Bibles. The book of Psalms, a large portion of them is attributed to the works of David. He was a worshiper. He was a poet. He would write these things. He would pour out his heart onto the pages. And there's a particular Psalm that I think talks about trusting in God and what a life lived trusting God looks like. It's one of the most famous Psalms, I think, in the, in the book of Psalms, and that's Psalm 23. It's believed that David wrote this psalm towards the end of his life. And I think it gives us a great picture of what living a life trusting God looks like. This is sort of David's summation at the end of his life as he looks back and he reflects over all the things that God has done for him. And he's telling us, this is what my life looked like, trusting in God. This is what can happen when you place your trust in the Lord. And so I'd love us to look at this psalm this morning. So I'm going to read it out, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What an incredible promise from David of what living a life of trusting God can look like. And so I want us to actually work through this psalm this morning and see what David is trying to say to us. So starting right at the beginning of the psalm, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now David, when he was a young man, he was a shepherd himself. He was actually a shepherd when the prophet Samuel came to anoint him to be king over Israel. So he knows the role of a shepherd very well. The shepherd's role was to go and look after the sheep. And so they would often have to be far away from the family home, out in the paddocks, out in the countryside, as they would lead them through the various things to get new grass and water and all those things. So the shepherd would have to live with the sheep, to sleep with them and stay in the paddocks and to care for them. When, when a wild animal would come to attack them, they would defend them and chase them off. The shepherd wasn't a, an overlord or some far-off dictator that would move the pieces of the chessboard around to say, right, now you're going to go to this paddock or whatever. No, he was present, 
and he was close and he was caring. And it says that the sheep would know his voice. I love how David calls him my shepherd. He doesn't just say that he's a shepherd, but he says, no, no, this is my shepherd. God is my shepherd. I am under his care. I know his voice. He leads me and he guides me. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. You know, my son Levi just turned one about a month ago. And so for the past year, me and my wife Anna have been raising him and loving him and seeing him grow. And it has been the most amazing thing that I've ever done. And it's given me so much joy and just watching him grow and discover new things and explore his world and all the things he's learned. But I remember that, very, that day he was born. And for those of you who are parents, you'll probably know this feeling I'm about to describe. I remember holding him for the first time and thinking, this thing is com- now completely and totally dependent on me. I remember holding him for the first time and I was looking at him and he's pretty much just a potato with arms at this point and looking at him as he's asleep in my arms going, he is completely relying on me for everything he needs, for all his protection, for all his provision, for his food, for everything. He is trusting in me to care for him. He cannot even exist without our presence. But now a year later, When I'm around him, when we're in the same room, when he looks at me and he sees me or he sees Anna, he knows that he has everything he needs. When he sees his parents in the room, he knows he's got everything he needs. He might not have food in his hands right that minute. He might not have a sippy cup in his hands or he might not have a jacket that he needs or whatever, but because his parents are around him, he has everything he needs. And it's like that with God, you know, When the shepherd is with me, all of my needs are taken care of. I might not understand the timing. I might not have it in my hands right this minute. But because I am around the shepherd, I have all that I need. And I also like to read it as a declaration, not just as a statement. But that because the Lord is my shepherd, then I have everything I need. Because I have Jesus, because I follow him, because of what he did for me on the cross that we celebrated last week, then I have all that I need. If I get nothing else in this life, if my situation never changes, if my finances never improve or whatever it is I'm going through, because I have Jesus, then I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. Now, to me, this just sounds like a Kiwi summer holiday. You know, going to central Otago or going up north somewhere, you know, green rolling hills and lovely rivers and all this sort of stuff. It sounds amazing to us as humans, but to a sheep, as we're talking about, for a sheep, this is the perfect environment it needs in order for it to thrive. When it is in this environment, it has everything it needs to do exactly what it needs to do to eat, sleep, and drink. This is the perfect environment for the sheep to thrive. And so the shepherd is leading his sheep to the place that is best for them, placing them in the best environment possible. And when we place our trust in God, when we allow him to lead us and guide us, he will lead us to the best environment for us. You know, we're all wired differently. We have different gifts, different strengths, and God has an environment that he wants to place us in based on the way he has made us in order to have the greatest impact for his kingdom, for you to use your gifts. He doesn't just lead us somewhere to rest our way to eternity. It's not saying that he leads us to this paradisical place where we can just lie down and it's comfortable and all our problems are forgotten about, and we can just lie there until kingdom come one day. 
But it says he leads us there to renew my strength. I need strength to do the work. I need strength to do the work. And when you find that environment where you feel, man, God has made me to do this, you actually renew your strength. It doesn't mean that it's not hard work at times. It doesn't mean that it's not exhausting. It's like me up here, right, doing this public speaking or hanging out with our youth or leading or whatever it is that I'm doing. It's not always easy. Getting up here is nerve-wracking. Going to an Easter camp is exhausting. It is hard work. But when I do it, I have the sense in my soul that I am doing what God has called me to do. And so even though it is hard, even though I'm nervous, I am alive because I feel this is what you have made me to do, Lord. I'm in the best environment possible possible for me to thrive according to the way he has made me. And that's the same with you. You have different gifts, different abilities. God has an environment that he wants to put you in. And as we see in the next verse, he guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. He guides us along the right path. When we're following him, when we're living according to his will, when we are trusting in him, this is where we are thriving. This is where we are renewed. And this brings honor to his name. The best way we honor God is by living according to the way he has told us to. But I often find myself fooling myself thinking, Lord, I wanna do some amazing things for you, but I'd also like to just keep these parts of my life that I know aren't right. But I'd like to just keep them and keep doing them but what I've got to be careful is, is that when I, if I had to make that decision to keep living those things or to keep doing those things, whatever that is, why would I expect God to give me, to continue to give me authority or to continue to open doors for me when I'm willingly continue to do those things because that does not bring honor to his name. But we bring honor to his name. We open the doors for ourselves when we, allow, when we live according to his word. You know, the world will constantly try to get us to compromise on the truth of his word, to get us to live contrary to what he has for us, but we bring honor to his name when we follow the right path. You know, I don't want to live my life based on my emotions. I don't want to live my life based on the way I feel. I don't want to live based on whatever the next viral hit is going to be, or whatever the next fashion trend is, or whatever the next sneakers I can get. I want to live my life on something that is unchanging on something that is stable, on something that is powerful, on something that will withstand any trial, something that stands the test of time, and that is the word of God. You cannot replace it. You cannot change it. It is there, and it is the foundation that we have to live our lives on. But then I find the next verse so interesting, Because he's just told us that God leads us along the right paths, that this brings honor to his name. Then he goes on to say this. Even when I walk through the darkest valley. Even when I walk through the darkest valley. Well, David, you've just told us that God is leading you along the right path. He's leading you along the right path. Why are we walking through a dark valley right now? But David understood that both can be true at the same time. We can be following God. We can be being led and guided by him. We can be on the right path. But that doesn't mean we won't face times in our lives that are dark. Times where we walk through a dark valley. Where we face things that we don't understand. Where we go through a storm or a trial that we really didn't want to go through. When we do things that we can't quite 
comprehend. Maybe we feel trapped in the valley. You know, we're surrounded. It's dark. We don't know where we're going. We don't feel like there's any way out. David knew this was the reality of life. And he knew this was the reality of life because he had experienced it time and time again. He had so many things happen in his life that were dark valleys. If you look at his life, his sons rebelled against him. They fought all sorts of things. He made so many mistakes. He walked through some dark valleys. But that is why he is qualified to say the next verse. Even though I walk through the dark valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Lord, even though following you is hard at times, even though I will walk through things that I don't want to walk through, I will face things that I don't understand, I will come up against battles, your promise to me is that when I trust you, you will remain close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You discipline me, but you fight off my enemies. You will remain close beside me. But now right at this point in the psalm, There is a subtle change in the way that David is writing it. And I think it is so cool. For the first few verses, David has been telling us about God. He's been telling us about God. He's saying things like, he leads me. He guides me. He is my shepherd. He leads me along the right paths. But not in this verse. Can we go back to the slide before? Oh, actually, no, sorry. You were on the right slide. (laughs) Not in this verse. In this verse, he says, I will not be afraid because you are close beside me. He doesn't say, I will not be afraid because he is close beside me. He says, I will not be afraid because you, Lord, are close beside me. Do you see the difference? And it's almost like David was standing here before us. He was telling a crowd of people. And that asked him, he's at the end of his life, and maybe it was his grandkids gathering, sitting around him, saying, David, tell us about your life. What did your life of trusting God look like? And so he begins to tell them all the things that God has done. He's saying, yeah, this is the way God led me. He did this for me back in the day. Or he was my shepherd throughout all my years. And he's telling us all these things that God is doing for him or has done for him in the past. But as he is doing that, His soul begins to be reminded of all the things that God has done for him in the past. As he's telling us about who God is to him and what he's done, his heart again begins to stir. Maybe tears start welling up in his eyes as his heart is reminded of the goodness and the glory of God. And he has to stop for a minute and say, sorry, guys, I'm no longer going to talk to the audience. I just want to worship God right now. I want to talk to you, Lord. I'm not just going to talk about you. Now I am going to talk to you because you were close beside me throughout all the time. And so David was a worshiper, and this is the power of worship. Carl brought that word in the middle of worship saying we've got to lean in regardless of our situations. Sometimes we don't feel like singing a worship song. Sometimes we don't feel like coming to church or going to life group or whatever it is. But when we do, or I find this for me anyway, when I do and I walk in the room and I start singing a song like being throned upon the praises of a thousand generations and I start to remind my soul of all the things that God has done for me, about his promises to me, it doesn't matter what I'm facing. I have to stop and I have to worship God. I have to lift my hands and say, you are close beside me. And so the rest of the psalm now ignores the audience, and it's now just David talking back and forth with God. But then he says something that I find really strange, and that's in verse 5. It says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil and my cup overflows 
with blessings. Remember the part before was David telling us about he walked through a dark valley. He walked through a dark valley. He's going through a situation he doesn't understand. Maybe it's a storm. Maybe it's a a trial or whatever it is. He's walking through a dark valley. Why on earth is God preparing a table for him now in the middle of this dark valley? It's like, God, why are we stopping for a feast? Can't we just get through the other end of this valley? Can't we just pick up the pace and get out of this thing and then we'll stop and celebrate? Why are we pausing? Why on earth are we preparing a feast? And I'll admit, I don't fully understand this metaphor. But what I do understand is that in Jewish culture, in this time, you would usually only be preparing a large feast or a banquet table for someone who was an honored guest. Maybe someone was coming to your home or someone was coming from out of town and you wanted to show them that you valued them, that you honored them, that you respected who they were. And so we have this picture of David walking through a dark valley and he's in the midst of a storm. He's going through a trial. He can't see any way out. He's confused. He doesn't understand. He's sort of fumbling his way through the dark. And he says he's in the presence of his enemies. His enemies are all around him. If you're in the bottom of the valley with your enemies around you, you're in a bad position because you've got no way out. He feels trapped. He feels alone. The enemy is closing in around him. And in the midst of all of this, God pauses. And he sits David down at a table. And he lays out a feast before him. And I love this. This is how good God is. The enemy is in his presence. The enemy is looking at David. And David is looking at the enemy. He can see him. And in all of that, God says, no, no, David, I don't want your eyes on the enemy. I want your eyes on me. I want your eyes on me because I've prepared this for you because I want to remind you in the presence of your enemies that you are honored in my sight. I want to remind you that in the midst of your darkness, I will be the one to provide for you. I know that you're surrounded by your enemies, but I'm going to, again, anoint your head with oil. I want to remind you that I am the one who has placed you here, that I am the one who has called you, that you are under my protection. You are under my authority and my anointing. And I know you're in a darkness right now and you don't understand what's going on, but I want to remind you that that does not define who you are. What you are facing right now does not stop the calling that I have given for you. This will not stay. You will get through this. And I want to remind you of all of this. I'm preparing a feast before you because in the presence of your enemies, I want you to know that I am still in control. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And in the presence of my enemies, in the middle of my storm, he revalidates who I am and what I am here to do. And that the darkness will have no hold on my life. That what I am facing now does not define who I am. It does not remove the anointing off my life. It does not stop the calling that God has given me. Yes, we will walk through hard times, but it does not define who you are. Yes, there is an enemy that is out there to get us, but he has no authority over us. It says no weapon formed against you will prevail. Jesus has already won the victory. The enemy is defeated. You are God's possession and you belong to him and him alone. My cup overflows with blessings. I can't contain the things that God has done for me. It overflows. It has to spill out into other people's lives. It it spills out into my family, into my friends. But now we come to the end of the psalm with verse six. Surely, after all of that, Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. 
and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord is where his presence dwells. What is the promise of a life lived trusting God? That he will be your shepherd. That he will provide you with all you need if you remain close to him. That he has gifted you to build his kingdom. And if you follow him, he will place you in the best environment for you to thrive. Not just to go through life surviving or go, I've just got to make it through the next thing. But to live a life that says, I am alive and I am thriving because I'm doing what God has called me to do. And even though following him will be hard at times, even though we'll go through things that we don't understand, things we don't want to face, his promise is that he is close beside us, that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. And his goodness and his mercy and his unfailing love towards you will pursue you all the days of your life. And you will live in the presence of the Lord forever. Now in a moment, we're going to sing a song called What a Beautiful Name. What a beautiful name. And I mentioned the way that David's language changed. That he was telling us about God. And that as he was, his heart was reminded and he couldn't help but then just praise God. Well, this morning I've told you about God. And I hope that your heart and your soul has again been stirred for all the things that God has done for you. And so as we stand and as we sing this next song, I want you to praise Him and thank Him for all the things that He has done for you. I don't know what part of the psalm relates to you the most. Maybe you feel like you're in the dark valley and you need to be reminded that He provides for you, that He anoints your head with oil. Maybe you need to be reminded that He is your shepherd, whatever it is, you've heard about it. Now's our chance for our soul again to praise Him and to worship Him with everything we've got. So why don't you stand and we're going to sing this song together.